Hopefully this will be a blessing to you. Galatians 6, verses 16 through 18. Actually, now that you stand, this is a really good crowd. We've got all the teens and the teen workers next door, so appreciate you being here. Uh, let's read it out loud. Galatians 6, verses 16 through 18. The verses are in your notes. If you need them, ready on verse 16. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Lord, I pray that you would help me as I preach. Help it to be a blessing. Help me to say just what you want me to say. I pray for the hearts and the people in this room tonight, Lord, if there are heavy hearts, burdened hearts, I pray, Lord, that they would uh, find that your grace is sufficient tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I think it was John Maxwell who said, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And tonight the title is, Walk According to This Rule, found from verse number 16. When I was growing up, I went to a Christian school pretty much the whole time from K through 12th grade, 12th grade. And every year before the school year would start, we would have orientation. Anybody have anything like that where you would go in and the principal, all your parents, and it was mandatory a couple of days before school started, all the parents, all the students, the principal would get up and, and he would kind of introduce himself and the teachers and here's what the rules are going to be this year. Here's how you drop off the kids. Here's how you pick up. Here's where the uh, older driving students, here's where you're supposed to park. Here's what time school starts and all of that. And then we would go from classroom to classroom. If we were in grade school, elementary school, we would, we would go meet our teacher and see where our room was going to be. We'd find our desk with our name written on the desk, on the paper. Anybody have anything like that? Or if we were in high school, we would go and we would find where homeroom was and who our homeroom teacher was and maybe register for classes, get our books. It was an exciting time. Now, I really wasn't somebody who cared for school. Uh, I like to learn, always loved to learn, loved to read, but hated school so much to be sitting there I've since I've done so much school voluntarily after it's kind of ironic but uh, at the time I would always look outside the window and wonder what the real world was doing and wonder why I had to sit here for so long and do do busy work and study hall I just hated school um, and when I went from sixth grade to seventh grade it was not a smooth transition for me I moved from the, the elementary school building to the middle school high school building it was combined and I was kind of a little brat, to be honest with you, okay, just sharing my burdens here. Um, we had a system of discipline at our school. We would get demerits. I don't know if you got demerits, but basically uh, you would get like three demerits for talking in class, three demerits for not doing your homework, three demerits for being late, five demerits for horseplay, 10 demerits for sarcasm, and so on. I really know all those because I got a lot of all of those. Um, and none for like real bad, like crazy stuff, but just very obnoxious things. I know they were to the teachers, distracting things. And so you get 20 demerits, you get uh, detention after school. You got to stay till four. We ended at three. You have to stay till four and just do stuff. You got more, I don't remember, 40 or something. You got in-school suspension for every increment of 20 after that. You got the same thing. And you had to be a janitor at the school and get zeros for the day. It was not a good thing. That was embarrassing because people would be walking by you in the hall and you'd be scrubbing stuff and scrubbing toilets. And, uh, and if you got 75 demerits in a semester, you got expelled. Now, in seventh grade, my second semester, I think I got 73 demerits. So I was just right there. I was not a blessing. I, was, I know I was, I was just a terror. 
And so uh, that, that summer, I don't remember how the conversation started, but my, my dad was talking to me, figuring out, okay, what are we going to do? And I got plenty of, I mean, seventh grade is not too old to spank. I got plenty of spankings. I paid for every sin, okay? And I, I knew I was wrong. It was just a bad year. Um, and uh, spankings when I got home. If I got a talking to at school, I got a spanking at home. That's just how it went. So it was a bad year. So that summer, seventh and eighth grade, between there, uh, my dad spoke to me and I don't remember how it went. It, I didn't feel like I was being bribed, more like motivated. He said, if you get no demerits for your eighth grade year, you can get something big. What do you want? Well, at the time, I really wanted a dirt bike. So I said, I want a dirt bike. And he said, okay, if you get no, de which think about it, that was one semester I got 73. I got something similar the first semester. No demerits all year. You have to be like an angel, right? Impossible. And so uh, he said, I'll get you a dirt bike. And I said, I can do that. I will do that. And so the next year went to orientation and the, the principal, how he did every year, he had the rule book and every student was required to read the rule book. You have to read the rule book. Not, most kids didn't actually read the rule book, but you had to initial or sign that you read it and you agreed to, abide by it, agreed to abide by it. And so I did that, but I really read it that semester. I read it before school started that year. And basically the message was, as it was every year, but I listened this year, if you abide by this rule book, then you will have a great year. You will, if you fit yourself into this structure that we've put forth, you, you show up before eight o'clock, you're ready to go, you are on time, you do your homework, all this, you wear a uniform, sister, whatever, then you'll have a great year. You'll have a peaceful year, a prosperous year. And so I said, I will do that. And so after two semesters of my eighth grade year, I didn't get zero, but I got three. One time I think I forgot to do my homework. And so my dad still got me the, the dirt bike. And so, cause I mean, that's miraculous people, okay? Don't look at me, oh, you got three still? No, it was amazing. I literally was perfect that whole year as best as a boy could be. And listen, I enjoyed that year as best as a eighth grade boy can enjoy school. I enjoyed that year way better than seventh grade. Now I had the same teachers. I had all the same friends. I, the problem was never my friends. The problem was me. Uh, but I had changed myself. And what was the difference? I decided to plug myself into the rule book. Administration said, if you do this, you're going to be great. You're going to have a great year. You're going to love it. And so I did. And here at the close of Galatians, we've been talking a lot about the Christian life. You remember why Paul wrote Galatians. One of the big reasons was against the teaching that you have to add works to your salvation in order to be truly saved. Called, we call it legalism. That word's not, not here, but legal meaning law, meaning you have to add the law to your salvation, add works to your salvation in order to be saved. And that's not true. Paul is very, very emphatic. And he ends the verse a lot like he begins the, the or excuse me, ends the book a lot like he begins the book, um, talking about the, the grace of God. And so tonight I want to speak to you, walk according to this rule. Number one, I want you to see the believer's walk. The believer's walk. Now we're going to do just a tad bit of review in this first point because you have to understand the two verses prior to verse 16 to understand verse 16. Because the Bible says in verse 16, and as many as walk according to this rule... Peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. Now, what is he talking about? Look back in verse number 14 and 15. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, that's the only thing we boast in. By whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Meaning, meaning uh, the world's dead to me. I'm not interested anymore. And to the world, I'm the same way. They, I, with Jesus, they don't care for my lifestyle. They don't care for me. Verse 15, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Meaning you can't get 
closer to Jesus or be more right with God by what you do, it's all Jesus. You see, it's all Jesus, a new creature. And then he says, as many as walk according to this rule. Now, walk means how you live. It's your lifestyle. It's what you do. It does, it does matter what you do. And you have to have the right motivation, though, for what you do, that right beginning. As according to this rule, letter A, rule means canon. If you think of like a carpenter's measuring rod or something that you are like, maybe a measuring tape would be more like what we would have today. Uh, you, you measure everything by that to make sure you're right. And it's the standard by which other things are judged. And condensed, I put these three points in here. What are we walking by? First, I'm glorying in the cross. I'm not boasting in myself. I'm not boasting in my accomplishments or anything other than the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, I'm walking this reality. I'm dead to sin. I'm not interested in sin anymore because I'm a new creature. And that's the final one. I am a new creature. I'm not who I was before. I'm a new person in Christ. And that is so important to just seal in your mind in the Christian life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Ephesians 4.24, And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Colossians 3.10, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. 1 Peter 1.23, And there's a lot more. But being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now, a lot happened when you were born again, when you got saved. And we talk about that probably just by every sermon, something that has to do with you getting saved, being born again. Now, you might not remember that day very well. Uh, Noel's not here, so I, 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 I'm not worried about embarrassing her. But uh, she, uh, we can't nail down the date when for sure she got saved. But there were just times when there was constant talking about it and then something clicked and we just noticed she always had the right answers and was always rejoicing that she was saved and going to heaven and, and I was not trying to lead her, but like, how do you know that? What is sin? What did Jesus do? She knows and she believes. She said, I want to get baptized because I'm saved. And so we asked her again and she might not remember the moment when she got saved. I think a lot of people do and that's good. But really, getting saved is just putting your faith in Jesus Christ and the grace that he offers and deciding... I'm putting my faith in Jesus. That's all it is. One simple belief, one simple act of faith. And so you might not really understand everything that happened when you got born again, but a lot of stuff happened. And a lot of things dramatically changed. You probably don't remember the day of your physical birth. Anybody here remember? No, that would be weird. Don't, okay, so no, you don't remember the day of your physical birth, but that was a big day in your life. A lot of things changed at that moment. Amen, right there. Yes, sir. And so when you got born again spiritually, maybe you were a child, maybe you're an adult, Regardless, you probably, I know you didn't, understand everything that was going on or happened at that moment because we spend a lifetime appreciating it and studying the Bible and finding out. But a big thing happened. You became a new creature. Before, all you could do was walk in the flesh. Now, you can walk in the Spirit. Before, you were dead to your sins, dead in your trespasses and sins. You were a stranger to God, uh, the enemy of God, the Bible says, because of our sins. And now, we are literally God's child, adopted into His family, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You got the Holy Spirit within us. So everything is different now. Everything is different to the child of God. We see things differently. We respond to things differently. We have a hope that other people don't have. You know, people that don't have Jesus, the best they're ever going to do is this life right here. People who do have Jesus, the worst they're ever going to do is this life right here. It's only going to get better for us. But people out there that don't have hope, they're striving, and still a day doesn't go by without some kind of disappointment or pain, and they have no hope for the future. But you and I have hope. Praise the Lord. Amen. 
Okay, good. I know you're tired, but you are doing well. I'm not saying that kind of thing. You're doing very, very well. Thank you. Now, as a believer, believers walk. Look at verse 16 again. As many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them in mercy and upon the Israel of God. If you're going to live the way God wants you to live, you are going to have to live with a passion to please one person only, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. One person. Live for the audience of one. Is God well pleased with what I'm doing? The Christian who has a walk of peace and mercy has that rule in their lives, that standard, does this please Christ? Now you might be in mad love with your spouse and say, well, I live to please my wife or I live to please my husband. And that sounds great. That sounds good. Like we should take notes from you. But really, the better way, the best way to live is, does this please Christ? Here's why. Your wife is a person with faults and failures and sins just like you. Your wife's going to be tired. Your wife's going to be hungry and grumpy. Your wife's not going to be appreciative. Uh, your wife might, might pass away before you. So your, this, another person is not the person to live for. But if you live for Christ, you better believe you're going to be the best spouse you could ever be ever be because oh okay well my spouse doesn't necessarily deserve this i don't think today they're not responding like i want them to and all that then we're not going to respond the right way but if we're living for christ hey i'm supposed to love my wife like christ loved the church and gave himself for it so i'm going to make that decision i'm going to live by this rule then everything is different the christian life is a christ-centered life the fleshly life is a self-centered life what was the big problem with adding works to salvation, it was like we talked about why Peter was to be blamed, because he was afraid of people. He was trying to please man. He wasn't motivated by what would please God. He was motivated by what is going to make me look the best. What's going to keep these everybody uh, happy? And I don't want to get any criticism of these people. I, I, I know that uh, I should eat with the Gentiles. There's no difference, as Paul said here, between Jew or Greek, bond or free, male or female. There's no difference in Christ. So I want to eat with them, but I'm afraid of what the Judaizers are going to say. I'm afraid they're going to criticize me. I'm a Jewish person, Peter said. And so he withdrew himself, but he said, you should be blamed. That's, that's wrong because you've got the fear of man. And a Christian who is going to walk by this rule and have peace and mercy is going to live for the audience of one person. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. You might say, well, I know that I'm not supposed to live to please the world, but you know, you are going to get some kind of persecution from everywhere. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And I say this from time to time, but it bears repeating because stuff comes up all the time in your life and in mine, but when you get some kind of persecution, that doesn't necessarily mean you're doing wrong. Now, if you're living for the audience of one, then it doesn't matter when the storms come because you know that you're pleasing God. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, he said, talking about unforgiveness here, but he said, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, meaning that attacks and persecution come from anywhere. They can come from anybody. But if you are living to please God... It doesn't really matter. You can have the peace of God knowing that you're, you're pleasing God. George Whitfield, the English evangelist from the 1700s, learned that it was more important to please God than to please men. Whitfield received a vicious letter accusing him of wrongdoing. That's when they would write directly to the person. His reply was brief and courteous. He said, I thank you heartily for your letter, 
As for what you and my other enemies are saying about me, I know worse things about myself than you can ever say about me. With love in Christ, George Whitfield. And so he got, he got criticism, complaints, but it didn't matter because he was living to please the Lord. Now, when you do that, you will have unbelievable peace. Peace. Because I'm living to please the Lord. If the Lord is pleased with me, then I'm good. Because look, if you look at person to person, are they going to be okay? Am I don't want to step on their toes? If I invite them to church, am I going to hurt their feelings? Like, no, no, no. Enter in life is Christ well-pleased. I'm just going to glory in the cross. I'm dead to sin, my own self-ambition, my self-centeredness. It's all going to be about how can I please the Lord today? That is a walk of peace and uh, mercy. Okay, next, when you walk by this rule, you get these results. I touched on it already. First, you get peace. Now, storms are going to blow. People are going to say things. But when you are doing what you know you're supposed to do and you are serving God, it's all in God's hands. Somebody asked me recently, like, what am I going to do about this person who's criticizing whatever and so on and so forth? It doesn't matter. But I told this person, God can do much more to this person than you can. Leave it in God's hands. Ask God, kind of like I preached on Sunday, not really sure what to pray for that person. Uh, God can take care of business. You know, if anybody ever attacks the local New Testament church, I would be scared out of my mind, rather bury myself alive than to attack the local body of Jesus Christ for whom God sent his son. Yikes, right? That's not my business, right? Jesus Christ, God the Father, vengeance is mine. He can take care of things. And so when things happen, you know, hey, I've been living for God. My conscience is clear, blameless, as it, not perfect, but blameless. There, there's nothing in my life that, that I feel like I'm, I'm chargeable, like Paul said, anybody. And so, hey, I'm good, right? I have peace, that peace of God. And that's what we're talking about. When you walk according to this rule, you have peace that the world can't even understand. When you're living in the reality that God is in control and you're living for the audience of one, it doesn't really matter what happens. Real peace will only come when you know Jesus and you live in His grace. So peace and also mercy. Mercy. The believer experiences the forgiveness and acceptance of God and most wonderfully, the perfect assurance of eternal life. You know, somebody who lives in some kind of religion or, or some structure system of works, I hope I go to heaven because I hope my good works outweigh my bad works when I get up there. You've heard probably somebody say that before. I hope I get to heaven. What a life. What a crushing guilt load of a life to live. But the believer lives in the reality of that mercy. Praise the Lord, right? Because you know, if you're going to be honest, you know you don't deserve anything but hell. Really, that's the only thing we've ever earned. Our wages, that's the only thing we really deserve is hell. When we realize that God has provided a way for us to live forever with Him in heaven, He gives us grace for every day. We're walking in peace and living in the reality of that mercy. Uh, next, number two, that was the longest point. So number one, the believer's walk. Number two, case closed. Verse 17, Paul said, from henceforth, from now on, let no man trouble me. So he's saying, all right, don't bother me with this question anymore. In a way, that's what he's saying. He said, case closed. Salvation is by grace through faith. That's how you're getting saved. It is not of works at all. So this is the final authority. This is the revelation by inspiration. Henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians 11, if you would. Just a few pages back. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. This is what Paul 
uh, was dealing with, and he still wrote about the peace and the mercy of God. He said it was well worth it. 2 Corinthians 11.23, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure. That means stripes from being whipped, scars. In prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Now right there, that would wipe out the prosperity gospel, wouldn't it? If you get saved, it means you're going to be healthy and wealthy for the rest of your life. Well, Paul would disagree by his testimony. In weariness and painfulness and watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. So all the things that are being done to me in my body that I'm feeling, all the things that my spirit, my soul is having to deal with, the care of all the churches that God has laid upon me, the apostle of the Gentiles. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? If I was needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. The case was closed. Go back to Galatians because uh, Paul gave this final revelation that uh, salvation is through, uh, uh, through faith by grace. And he says, uh, verse 17 again, here we go. For henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He bore in his body the literal scars for serving Christ. And then finally, number three, Sufficient grace. Sufficient grace. And all of Galatians can be summed up in that word, really the whole Bible, and that is grace. Grace. Verse number 18. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Even in closing, he reminds the Galatian churches of the grace of Christ. Now that word in verse 18, your spirit... That's your regenerated spirit. That's regenerated or regenerated or made new by the Holy Spirit of God at salvation. And he brings the letter to a full close, emphasizing Jesus Christ and the grace we find in him. And I want to teach you a song. So, Brother Sam, if you can make your way to the piano. Grace was enough to save us. That was Paul's message. And it was enough to sustain them that day. I'll say that again. Grace was enough to save at the moment of salvation, and grace is enough to sustain today, at this moment in this hour.